Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Summer Family Bible Conference. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. I've been sharing about how God created us to be a success. He didn't ever make a failure. His plans for us are plans of good. And He just wants us to prosper and, and be a blessing. Not only to be blessed, but to be a blessing. He told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. This is God's will for every person. If we were to yield to Him and allow God, not only would we be blessed more than you could ever be blessed on your own, but you would be a blessing. That is ultimately God's goal for every single one of us. So I've been talking about that and how do we become a success? And I've spent most of my time, I've covered a lot of things, but most of my time has been trying to redefine what success is because I think we have been really impacted and influenced by this secular world that we live in. And we've got really wrong ideas. And because of it, many people go through life feeling like they aren't significant and that their life doesn't really matter unless they do something dramatic that puts them on a magazine cover or something like that. So I've been trying to, uh, to um, redefine that and redirect our attention away from that. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is my definition of what a success is. And that is being a living sacrifice, totally committed unto God first. And then verse two, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will prove or make manifest of the physical senses what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. That's, that's being a success, is loving God and then just renewing your mind and following Him. And if God calls you to go over to the other side of the world and do something significant, great. But if He calls you to do something that is relatively insignificant in the sight of people, well, that's wonderful. You know, Julie back here has whatever, 40, 50 orphans that would be dead today, that wouldn't be taken care of. And Julie is taking her, uh, you know, what she has and she's reaching people and making a difference in those people's lives. And this is something God's led her to do. And some people may think that's not a big deal. That is a huge deal to those 40 or 50 orphans. What a difference. You know, we were visiting with Charlie and Jill at lunch today and they were just in Ethiopia. And they ministered to 500 women at one time that were all prostitutes. They had a party for all of the prostitutes in that area. And there was 500 of them from the ages of what? Nine to 30, I think they said. And this is how they make their living and just terrible situations. And they had a party and just loved on them and welcomed them into their program if they wanted to. And, and, and they're making a difference. And uh, they had one of the girls while they were there went back to prostitution and the person that runs it says they'll be back. Says it takes a while for them to break the chain because they were raised doing this from the time they were little kids. And there's people over there making a difference one life at a time. You know, there is another story that I've got, Dottie Hammond, which many of you wouldn't know her, but she's a woman that I don't know how old she was when she came to school, but I'm pretty sure she was in her 50s. I hope I don't get in trouble saying that, but she was a single lady that lived in the hollows of West Virginia. And that's what she said. She had never left her holler in her life. She had never been more than 10 or 15 miles from her home in her life. And this woman makes me look posh. I mean, this woman was country. She was country. 
She brought us a five gallon jar of pickled venison when she came. And the first time she'd ever been over 20 miles or so from her house, she drove from West Virginia to Colorado to come to Bible school. And Dottie, this woman just loved God, fell in love with God on her missions trip. They went to Kenya and she fell in love with Kenya and she went to Kenya and has just poured her life into Kenya. And I don't know the exact things. I support her on a monthly basis, so I get her newsletters. But anyway, I know I'm close that she supported, uh, she's adopted, I think, four Kenyan children that are hers now and she raises them. And she has probably another dozen or so that she takes care of and feeds and helps. And she just goes out, you know, in Kenya and Uganda and these places, one of the reasons that the population is so young is because just a few years ago, they had 90% of the adult population had AIDS. These friends of mine, Bob Nichols, the first time he flew into Entebbe, which is where the airport is for Kampala. It's about a probably 15 or 20 mile trip from Entebbe to Kampala. And the first time they flew in there, the entire 20 miles was lined on both sides of the roads with coffins for 20 miles. Solid coffins. The people were dying like flies. And the president and first lady of Uganda, I had the privilege of meeting with them and man, they fell in love with me and the people that were there. They are offering us their support. And it just so happened that the first lady is this outspoken Christian. They have these campaigns everywhere you go in, in Kampala, you'll see these uh, billboards about love your mate, be faithful to your mate. And instead of passing out condoms the way that the United States does, they told their people, if you'd be faithful to your mate and not be immoral, you wouldn't have AIDS. And they have changed the whole situation. And it's gone from 90% AIDS down to less than 5% and they are just doing great. But it so happens that the first lady uh, is the one, her territory that she's been assigned is Karamoja, the area that we're going to. And she has told us that she will do anything she can to help us and give us official recognition. They give us uh, soldiers to go with us when we're out there to protect us and do things and they just do anything they can to help us. But um, anyway, uh, the first lady and them are just doing a great job. I forgot exactly where I was going before I got off on that. Success. I was talking about success. Dottie Hammond. And so anyway, over there, I was talking about Kenya, but Kampala's done a great job with the AIDS. But over there, they've got so many widows that the widows are, they're just destitute because they really can't work and stuff. And so they are just barely struggling. And Dottie, one of the stories that she told me was about going out to a village and she saw this woman and they live in grass huts and they have grass on top. And that's what keeps the rain from soaking through the mud on top. And uh, they had had a drought and the grass had died and this woman's hut was just falling apart and the rain was coming through. And Dottie went up to her and for $6, five or $6, she reseeded this woman's roof on her little hut for five or $6. And the woman came out just crying and saying, why would you do this? Nobody's ever done anything for me. Why would you do something to help me? And Dottie said, you're wrong. Somebody's loved you your whole life. 
and she got to tell her about Jesus. And she led this woman to the Lord. And now Dottie has, I don't even know, dozens, scores of widows that she takes care of and helps. And Dottie, I don't know how old she is now. She may be in her 60s. She's never been married. She's just a really plain woman. But you know, she's over there making the difference in the lives of kids, widows. Uh, just a mile or less from her house, they came in and surrounded a, a church and locked them in and burned it and killed two or 300 people less than a mile from where she lives. And she's a white woman living in this black culture and yet everybody loves Dottie. She just loves people and they, they leave her alone and she's blessed and she's over there making a difference. I tell you, people are struggling to find out, you know, what can I do? Man, if you were a Bible college student, this is the reason we make you go on a foreign missions trip to get you out of this culture to where you think that, man, if I don't have a brand new BMW sitting in my driveway, I'm a failure. And we put you in cultures. We, we've sent people to Mexico where we've met people who were born and live. They're 15, 20 years old and they've never been off of the city dump. That's where they were born in a cardboard box. They sleep in a cardboard box and they rummage through all the garbage that's dumped there. You know what, when you see that kind of stuff, it kind of changes your perspective on what's important. And all of a sudden you start realizing there's things more important than having the biggest, you know, going out and buying a $500 phone and paying $200 a month so that you can play games on your phone. There's things more important than that. That's not to say that it's sin to have any of that stuff, but I'm saying we've just emphasized the wrong thing. So. I'm saying all of that to say that, you know, we, we think a success is somebody who's all of these things. I can guarantee you people like Dottie Hammond, Julie Mapitano, all of these people, Pastor Francis over in Uganda who's helping us, this Ricky, he's going and giving his life to help people. I think in the big scheme of things, God is going to look at that and he's going to say, man, you are a success. And they may never get the acclaim of people, but I think that the people who shine so bright in this life are going to be dull or extinguished as we go to be into eternity. And some of the people that we've never heard about, man, they're going to stand out. You know, Dave and Carla Watley that we showed the video about this morning that are helping those kids in Texarkana. Man, I tell you, God honors that. The scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, I believe it's verse 30. It's a long verse, but the first part's talking about uh, Eli. And because he honored his sons above God, his sons were committing adultery, having sex with the women that came to the temple to worship God. And he says, I said that Aaron's seed and this line of it would be priest forever. But he says, God forbid, I'm changing. Those who honor me, I will honor and those who lightly, I mean, those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. And he changed the thing. He didn't change the Aaron priesthood, but he took it away from that line and gave it to the other line of Aram's uh, children. And there was never another priest in that line again. And he broke his covenant, his promise. He didn't break it. They broke it through the way that they did. But that's really important. He says, those that honor me, I will honor and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And I tell you, that's what success is all about, is honoring God, loving God, 
And if you do that, and if you do it over a prolonged period of time, not a day at a time or a week at a time, but if you make this your lifestyle where you are committed to God, I guarantee you God will honor you. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will lift you up. God will do awesome things in your life. But it's, it's not the goal. You need to have your goal knowing God and just loving Him and obeying Him. And if He honestly tells you to do nothing or if He tells you to do something insignificant in the sight of people, then do it. And you know, I don't mean this trying to toot my own horn, but I'm trying to illustrate. But right here at CBC and Andrew Womack Ministries, this is one of the things that really has set this ministry apart is that you could take every one of these people, every speaker that you've heard, you could go from Arthur and Daniel here, Barry, Greg, Wendell, and Gary, and you can go right down the line, every person. And we are here to glorify God, to minister to the students, and there isn't a selfish bone in these guys. These guys would gladly, I mean, if somebody had something else to minister, they'd turn their time over to them. We aren't here trying to build a kingdom. We've had people that came from other Bible schools and, and I've asked them, I said, what's the difference? And they said, the difference is that y'all are a unit that are trying to glorify God and there's no competition. And we are here just to build the kingdom of God. And I tell you, that's the attitude that I believe God promotes. And that's one reason God's blessing it is because we aren't here trying to build a kingdom. We're trying to build God's kingdom and the people love each other and they're willing to serve each other and they will honor each other and they'll give credit and they aren't jealous if somebody else is more popular than them. That's not what it's about. And I tell you, if you could get rid of those things and make your goal to just know God and to make him known and God, how is it that my, what's my part? What do you want me to do? And you get rid of your own personal agenda. I told the young people this today, but second Chronicles 16, nine says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking to show himself strong in behalf of those that are perfect in his sight. And perfect in his sight doesn't mean you're sinless. It's talking about this heart attitude to where you love God more than you, yourself. You want to do what he tells you to do. And the eyes of the Lord are running throughout the whole earth looking for people like that. God's here tonight. And taking all of these things that have been said, all of the things that have been done here, and he's looking for people that would be willing to put him and God's kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God. And if he can find people like that, I guarantee you, God will use you. It takes a while. It's a process. It's not like you make the commitment tonight and then next week, your whole life is just awesome. Amen. You're going to be stretched. You will go through some things. Satan will fight you to try and keep these things from happening. But if you make that commitment and maintain it, I can guarantee you God wants to use you more than you want to be used. God is looking for someone. He's here tonight. He's speaking through me and he's saying, is there anybody here who will respond? Is there anybody here who will make themselves available and put God first? And you know what? We should all be saying, God, don't look any further. Don't go anywhere else. Here am I, send me. That's what Isaiah said. And if you say that and mean it over a prolonged period of time, and that's the hard part, is maintaining this focus. If you can maintain it, I can guarantee you God will do wonderful things. You'll look back and think, God, it has been absolutely supernatural. It is wonderful, wonderful what you've done. But 
Once God starts this work in you, like I said, it's a process and none of us start out usable. It takes time for the Lord to work on you. And the, and the thing is, can you maintain your focus? And to me, the thing that maintains that is just personal relationship with the Lord. Jamie and I have been through things that I guarantee you in the natural, there was no reason to continue. We were, looked like we were digging a hole. It was getting deeper. It didn't look like things were working out. And the only reason I didn't quit is because I didn't have any quit in me. I had committed to God. And if I died trying to do what God told me to do, I was going to die doing it. But there was no plan B or plan C. I'd burned my bridges behind me. And it was just my personal relationship with the Lord. When there wasn't anything positive in the physical realm to encourage me, I'd just go to the Lord. And I mean, God will keep you encouraged. God will encourage you. And you have to have this depth of relationship in order to be able to survive. Let me just mention some things and then I'm going to jump right into something. But I wrote down some people here who fail big time, but they weren't a failure. You know, that doesn't even sound right to most people. Most people think, well, if you failed, then you're a failure. You know, the Lord told Peter, he said in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, 32, he said, Peter, Satan is desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. So the Lord prophesied that Peter was going to fail. And the way he failed was that when Jesus was arrested, Peter denied three times with an oath that he had never even seen this man. He was afraid. His life was on the line and he totally denied Jesus. And this is the man that Jesus said, you're this rock. And upon that rock of his confession, he would build the church. He wasn't the first Pope, contrary to what some people say, but he was a pillar and a leader in the church. And this man who denied that he had ever even meant the Lord and denied with an oath and swore in the name of God that he had never seen him. This man converted and just like the Lord said, God had prayed for him and he said, I pray that your faith fail not. Some people say, well, his faith did fail, but Jesus prayed that it wouldn't. I believe Jesus' prayer was answered. Did you know what? He failed, but he wasn't a failure. That's huge. We've had so much of a connection placed between what we do with who we are. And there is a relationship. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The dominant thought of your heart will determine your actions. And I'm not saying that it's completely disconnected. But you know what? You can do things that are really not consistent with who you really are at your core. Every one of us have failed. And yet Jesus said, I pray that your faith wouldn't fail. His faith didn't fail. His actions failed, but he repented of it. He went out and wept bitterly. He came back with a vengeance. And man, Peter stood and believed God. And he ultimately was uh, crucified. And he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner that his Lord was, and he died voluntarily, willingly, and submitted his life to the Lord. That man failed, but he wasn't a failure. You may have failed. You may have done some things wrong, but you aren't a failure. If you're still breathing, you aren't a failure. You came to this conference, and I don't know why you came. It's possible that somebody drug you here, 
but probably the most of you came willingly. And you know, even though you've had terrible things happen in your life, you may have failed. That doesn't mean you're a failure. You can recover. Abraham is a guy that failed big time. You know, I could teach on Abraham tonight. I've studied his life a lot, but just real quickly, he was commanded to leave Ur of the Chaldees and his brethren, and he didn't do it. He brought his father with him, and he waited until his father died before he obeyed, and even then, he took his nephew with him, Lot, and I imagine the reason for it is because his brother had died, and his nephew was basically fatherless, and Abraham may have had good intentions, trying to be a good uncle, and take care of him. And he may have thought, well, God, I know you'd have told me to leave all of my brethren, but what would happen to Lot if I didn't take care of him? Let me ask you how that worked out. (laughs) If you're familiar with the story, Lot went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and wound up being, it says in Peter that this just man in seeing and hearing their unlawful deeds vexed his righteous soul from day to day. He was a just man, but he, his association with the ungodly because of financial gain cost him big time. It says that he went out to his daughters and tried to get them and their husbands to leave Sodom and Gomorrah with him, but they wouldn't. So we know that there was at least two daughters or more that died in Sodom. And then he had two daughters that went with him out of Sodom And uh, his wife turned around and looked behind her and got turned into a pillar of salt because the angel had told him not to look behind. But she was drawn, his wife was drawn to Sodom and she was leaving her children. She was leaving all of her assets. He lost at least two children. It doesn't say how many. He lost his wife. She was turned into a pillar of salt. And then he was so afraid that he went up into a mountain and was dwelling in a cave and his daughters had been corrupted by all of this and they thought that all of the people on the earth had been destroyed the way Sodom and Gomorrah were. And so they got their father drunk and they went in and had sex with him so that they could have children and continue seed on the earth. And so he had two children by incest with his own daughters. And all of that happened and people say, well, man, what would have happened to Lot if Abraham would have left him? Ah, it wouldn't have been as bad as what did happen to Lot. I'm telling you, there, there are people that right now you're feeling God leading you to do something again. I use the Bible college as an example, but some of you might be thinking, what's going to happen to my relatives? What's going to happen with my, my parents? What's going to happen with this? And you're sitting here and you know what God's telling you to do, but then you think that it's just responsible to go ahead and lean under your own understanding. I've had people tell me before that I'm only three or four years away from retirement. And man, my retirement would be twice as much what it is if I, if I uh, you know, was to leave right now and come to school. And so they just suppose that, well, God told me to come, but you know, I'll come in four or five years, six years or whatever when my retirement's complete. Well, I'm sure God understands. He, he didn't understand you were going to be retiring in four or five years. He didn't know that. I'm sure he will defer to your judgment. I'm sure he told you all wrong. I mean, he just didn't as sharp as you are. You know, when you look at it that way, it's really pretty dumb. If God speaks to you and puts something in your heart, just do it. Just do it. You know, Mike Buller, who's here someplace, I don't know where he is, but he's around. Do I see you, Mike? Anyway, Mike and his wife, he was a highway patrolman 
in California and loved it and was only, I think, two years away from retirement, a good retirement. And yet uh, Renee was raised from the dead. And man, they got turned onto the word, kicked out of all of these churches. She was too radical for them. And they started listening to me and it changed their life and they felt called to come to Karis Bible College. And you know what? They left it all, left retirement, left their family, left everything, everybody thinking they're crazy and came here. And man, they're just a blessing. They're a blessing. God's using them. And we've talked about this. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that they just want to lean to their own. I'm nearly preaching on Abraham, but my point is that he was commanded to leave his father and brother and he didn't do it right away. And I've actually, it's a little hard, but I've looked in scripture and I really believe that he was called somewhere around the age of 35 is when he was told to leave Ur of the Chaldees. He didn't come into the promised land until he was 75 years old, 40 years it took him to obey and he still had Lot with him then. And it was another few years before Lot was separated. And then Abraham lied about his wife because she was so beautiful. The first time she was 76 years old and he was afraid somebody was going to kill him. Or excuse me, no, she was nine years younger than him. So she must've been in her sixties, but she was so beautiful. He was afraid somebody was going to kill him to get to his wife. So he says, she's my sister. And he allowed Pharaoh to take her into his harem. And God intervened supernaturally and he got out. The second time he did this, Sarah was 91 years old and he lied to Abimelech and said, she's my sister. He was afraid people would kill him to get his wife. At 91 years old, she was so beautiful. Man, I'd like to have seen Sarah. <laughs> At 91 years old, afraid somebody's gonna kill you for your wife, that's something else. And he just lied about her. You know, you read things like this in the Bible and think, well, you know, you just, I don't know, when we read things in the Bible, you don't somehow or another look at it like it's reality. But what would happen if I took Jamie to Uganda and somebody liked her and oh man, I like her. And I said, I, I don't know who that woman is. Help yourself. <laughs> I guarantee you that'd be a scandal. I'd be wrong and you'd be right to be upset with me. That's sin. Abraham sinned big time. Abraham made a bunch of mistakes and then it didn't take very much co uh, uh, coercion from Sarah to get him to go into his handmaid and have children by her. He tried to help the Lord out and he had an Ishmael that started the whole Arab-Israeli conflict that we have today. Did you know Abraham messed up big time, but would you call Abraham a failure? He failed. But you know, he kept seeking the Lord and ultimately he prevailed. Isn't that awesome? You can say the same thing about nearly any of the major characters of the Old Testament. Isaac was a guy who, his name was Jacob Surplanter. He lied and deceived and coerced. Did you know that when Isaac and, um, ja uh, no, excuse me, Jacob and Esau, when they lied to their father, about the, you know, who the firstborn was and they went in and he deceived him, uh, Genesis chapter 27. Did you know that they were 76 years old at that time, still living at home? <laughs> 76, still living at home. And he went in and lied and tried to steal the blessing. And he did all of these terrible things. He bribed his brother and, and stole the birthright, then stole the blessing. And guess what? He reaped what he sowed. 
He was treated worse than he ever treated his brother, Laban. Man lied to him and on his wedding night substituted the sister instead of the one that Jacob thought he was getting. And in the next, next morning, he was upset and he says, well, that's not the way we do it here. You're going to have to work seven more years to get her sister. And anyway, he went on and on and on and stuff. But you know what? He failed big time. Jacob made some serious mistakes and did all of these things. And yet ultimately, he, he was a success. The point I'm trying to get across is that just because you fail, just because you've done something wrong doesn't mean you're a failure unless you don't get up and keep going. And you could literally take this point, and I, I've got a whole list of people here. I'm not going to go through all of them, but you could go through nearly any major character in the Bible. Did you know that Paul was a murderer? Paul murdered Christians and persecuted Christians with a zeal. And yet he wrote half of the New Testament. Half of the books in the New Testament were written by a murderer. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He was a murderer. David murdered to cover up his adultery. And he wrote most of the Psalms and nearly all of 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st Kings and 1st Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles was written about David. The Bible was written by murderers, <laughs> by failures. And yet they went on and succeeded. You know, it amazes me. Most people do not let the Word of God really influence them. I, I, I praise you or thank you or commend you for coming and devoting a week to come to this conference. I mean, that's awesome. You are the cream of the crop. And yet even the people that are here, the truth is most of us are more influenced by the world and their attitudes than we are by Scripture. If you were to meditate on the things that we're talking about right now and look at these people, there's not a person in here that's failed as badly as some of these examples that I've used. And yet some of you are just beating yourself up and think God could never use me. Moses was 80 years old. We have people all the time saying, well, I'm too old. I'd have loved to have come. We had one lady graduate from our school who was 89 years old and she was like the spark plug of the whole school. When she went on her missions trip, she outperformed all of the young people that went with her. Man, she was just awesome. And some of you are thinking, I'm too old or something. Man, Moses didn't even get his life straightened out until he was 80 and served until he was 120 years old. You don't have an excuse if we were to let the Word of God dominate us and if we were to look at this and go by these things instead of listening to the, to the lies and the deception of this world. Man, if we were to go by the Word of God, you should be encouraged today. There's nobody in here who's fallen too far that the grace of God can't redeem that. And this is the real point that I was wanting to get across. I know we've gone a long time and stuff. And again, I'm short of time. And so praise God, maybe tomorrow I'll have some time. Who knows? But for you to be a success and to accomplish what God wants you to do, you not only have to love him and be willing to go wherever, or do whatever, but you've got to understand how God views you. You've got to see your righteous position in the Lord. Barry ministered on this the very first morning about righteousness is what causes authority and power to be released. You've got to understand that God doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. 
God doesn't look on the outward appearance. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the last part of that verse says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Sadly, most of us look on the outward appearance. We look at ourselves and think, well, I'm not a good looking person. I don't speak well. I don't do this well. And we look on all of these physical, natural things. I'm telling you, God is looking at your heart. And some of you say, oh, well, that's bad news because my heart's really bad. No, your soul may be bad. Your soul may not be renewed and you may have problems in your soul. But if you're born again, your little spirit is perfect. It is perfect. And John chapter four, verse 24 says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must, not should, but must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is relating to you based on who you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are perfect in your spirit. There is no sin. When you sin as a believer, that sin doesn't enter into your spirit and corrupt your spirit. And you have to be born again, again, and repurged of sin. Your spirit, the moment you got born again, was sealed with the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this verse in Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 13. I can't quote this exactly, so I'll have to turn over there. But Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 13, it says, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This is saying that when you got born again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when you became in Christ, you became a new creature. Old things passed away and all things became new. That's talking about in your spirit. And I minister a, a lot on this. My whole teaching on spirit, soul, and body is based on this. But when you got born again, you were created in righteousness and true holiness. That's Ephesians 4, 24. Put on the new man, which was created in righteousness and true holiness. Some people can accept that the moment you were born again, you were in right standing with God. You were righteous. But then they sin and they fail. It's relatively easy to get over your failure before you commit your life to the Lord because you think God gives you a pass. You did it in ignorance and God will forgive you of that. But then people think that once they're a believer and if you sin and if you fail, that somehow or another this stains you, that it affects your relationship with God, that God is dealing with you based on your sin and on your performance. But this verse you put together 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things are become new. That can only be talking about your spirit because your body didn't change. If you were a woman, you're still a woman. If you're a man, you're still a man. Your mind doesn't instantly change. You still got your memory and your experience. It's your spirit that was changed when you got born again. It was created in righteousness and true holiness. And then according to Ephesians 1, 13, you were immediately sealed by the Holy Spirit, vacuum packed. The Holy Spirit has encased your perfect born again spirit. And remember John 4, 24, God is a spirit. And to worship him, to relate to God, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. God isn't looking at your physical body. He's not looking at your age. He's not looking at your actions. He's not looking at your failures. He's looking at the born again part, the part that is his workmanship. 
It says in, sec, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that you are saved by grace through faith, in verse 9, that not of yourselves, it is a gift to God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Your spirit is his workmanship. It's a supernatural thing. Uh, Galatians chapter four, I believe it's around verse four, says he sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Your spirit is born again. It's clean, it's pure, and it's sealed so that if you sin as a Christian, sin enters into your physical body. It gives Satan an inroad against you physically. It enters into your mind and emotions and it gives Satan an inroad against you in depression and discouragement and confusion and things like this. So don't sin. It's stupid. Quit sinning. I'm not encouraging sin, but I'm saying that that sin can't penetrate this seal that's around your spirit. And even when you sin as a believer, your spirit retains its righteousness and holiness. And some of you may think, what does this have to do with being a success? To me, this is the thing that gives stability to my life because I'm not always right and I don't always do things properly. And sometimes I, I say things and make mistakes and all of these things. And if I was thinking that God is looking at me the way I look at me on the outside, I, how could God love me? How could God use me? How could God overlook these things? I can't overlook them. But see, you have to find your identity in Christ. You have to recognize that regardless of how you've acted on the outside, how dumb you've acted, that God still loves you. He sees you in the spirit and you are his workmanship. And to me, this is the thing that gives you stability because if you leave this conference and you go out of here saying, praise God, I made myself a living sacrifice. I've committed myself. I believe God is gonna reveal to me his good, acceptable and perfect will. And if you go to pursuing that, you will fail. And some of you are thinking, oh, I won't. Well, just come back and see me in a little bit and tell me about it because I can guarantee you, you will fail. Our flesh, when you get saved, did you know your flesh doesn't get better? Some people think, well, I used to be like this, but now I've grown, I'm beyond that. You aren't beyond anything. If you're experiencing success, it's because you are in Christ and he's living through you, but you step out of Christ and you'll crash and burn the same as you ever would have before you got born again. Your flesh isn't saved. This body's not saved. Your mind's not saved. It's in the process of being saved and renewed, but the only part of you that's saved is your spirit. I liken it to like flying in an airplane. You could be going five or 600 miles an hour flying at 35,000 feet and think, man, aren't I awesome. No, it's that plane that's awesome and it's your relationship and position inside of that plane that's awesome. And if you don't believe it, step outside of that plane and see how well you fly. <laughs> and if you get outside of Jesus and trusting in him and relying on him, your flesh is as capable of doing anything as anybody else's flesh. You know, I've never lived in the sin that most people have. And I honestly believe that right now, because I am in Christ and I'm depending upon him and I'm loving him and doing these things, you couldn't make me do certain things. You could not make me commit adultery tonight because I love my wife and I love God and you couldn't force me to do it. 
It always amuses me, these people, you know, who are caught in adultery. And it was a, I can think of this one guy who they set him up and a prostitute was in his room and she just seduced him. And it so happened they had people there with cameras to expose him because he was a Christian and teaching on marriage and stuff. And they used it to discredit him and ruin his ministry. And he says, I wouldn't have done it, but I was, you know, she just threw herself at me and I was seduced. Well, he was somewhat receptive to it. You couldn't have made me do something like that. I'd have been like Joseph. I'd have run and have left my clothes in her hands. I'd have run out of there naked. I'd have done something. But right tonight, you couldn't make me commit adultery. And so some people might think, well, see, you just aren't susceptible to that. No, I am. If I was to quit seeking the Lord, and if I quit letting the Lord speak to me, and if I quit loving my wife, and if I quit loving God, I don't know how long it'd take. It might take a year or two years. I don't know how long it'd take. I'm not going to try out. And so I can tell you, but I can tell you, I'm as capable of doing anything that anybody else is capable of. Your flesh is flesh. And some of you think, oh no, mine is USDA choice flesh, amen. <laughs> but flesh is flesh. And you cannot please God if you're in the flesh. The flesh is at enmity with God. That's what the first few verses of Romans chapter eight is talking about. You have to learn to worship God in spirit and in truth. That isn't talking about folding your hands in a certain pose, getting this look on your face, lifting your hands a certain way, turning your collar around backwards or whatever it is that you think makes you holy. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth is talking about standing before God on the basis of what He has done in your life, who He made you, who you are in the spirit. And I'm sharing with you from these scriptures that in your spirit, you're always righteous and holy once you get born again. I don't care if you're sleeping around and living ungodly, your spirit does not change. And I know some of you just overdosed on that one. You can't tell me that a person that committed adultery is righteous in their spirit. They're as righteous as Jesus is. Their spirit has not been contaminated. So somebody says, oh man, you're encouraging sin. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, you're stupid if you go do that. You are giving Satan an inroad. Just in the physical realm, if you even took out the spiritual realm. You know, in the spiritual realm, it says 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, he that is joined unto a harlot is one flesh. Anytime you have sexual relationship outside of your covenant partner, you become one with that person and every demonic rotten thing in them comes into you. You open yourself up, you drop your defenses and you become whatever. You are joined under those persons. It's not only if you get married in a church and make a vow to commit yourself one to another. If you are joined unto a harlot, you become one flesh. Now God can overturn that. He can redeem you from it. He can forgive you and break those things. But I'm saying without supernatural intervention, you have just thrown your door open to the devil and Satan has free access to you. So I'm not encouraging adultery. I'm not encouraging sin, but I'm saying... You're stupid if you do that, but God loves you, stupid. <laughs> he still loves you. And if you were truly born again, your spirit wasn't contaminated by that. Your spirit's still righteous and holy, but you will live under so much shame and guilt and confusion. Satan will blind you and stuff that I guarantee you, you aren't going to prosper. You will not succeed if you just go out and live in sin. 
But the reason I'm stressing this is that you, you may not go out and commit adultery. You may not murder or steal, but you are going to fail. But just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. Your spirit retains its right standing with God. You haven't lost God's approval. God still loves you. God's not mad at you. He's not dealing with you based on your actions. Now he will speak to you about your actions because he loves you. And he doesn't want you to continue to just let the devil beat you up. So he'll say, quit doing that stuff. But he loves you and uses you based on who you are in the spirit, not on who you are in the flesh. And I tell you, I was, when I first got started, when the Lord called me into the ministry, I didn't fully understand all of this. And because of that, I was thinking God was going to use me based on my performance. And so, man, I tried to perform really good and I made covenants with God. I made promises to God that I would never preach a message without fasting two weeks in advance. That was pretty dumb. And as you can tell, I'm not doing that nowadays. Amen. I'd be plumb gone by now. I mean, I've preached. This is my fifth time this week. But you know, I was trying to earn the favor of God and I was trying to be holy enough. And I tell you, I wasn't succeeding because it didn't matter how holy I was. I was never holy enough. I always fail. I remember one day I got up and this is before I was married and I read the word 16 hours. I read from Mark through Revelations in one day. That was a lot. I was really proud of myself. And I remember as I was going to bed thinking, oh God, what an awesome day. Look what I did. I know that this is going to release your power in my life. And you know what? I got to thinking I was up 17 hours. I wasted an hour. I ate and did stuff. I could have spent another hour and I wound up going to sleep condemned thinking, oh God, I didn't serve you with my whole heart today. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how hard you try, your flesh is never going to be perfect and your conscience will condemn you. And if you are going to really become a success, you're going to have to learn how to be strong in the power of his might and not in the power of your might. You're going to have to learn to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not I can do all things, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're going to have to learn how to trust in him and you're going to have to understand these principles. And I've gone through this really quickly tonight, but I'm telling you there, there is just huge, huge amount of material in the new covenant about how that it's now who we are in Christ, that we are in right standing with him. You know, these messages that we've heard this week, uh, they've been making those points. Barry and Arthur made great points on that on Tuesday. You've got to find out who you are. You've got to recognize that God is looking at you in the spirit. And I can't tell you how many times I've just done some, I don't go out and murder people. I've never committed adultery. I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. I don't do those things. But you know what? I constantly come short of the person that I'm supposed to be. This ministry, we've got so many things going on right now. There's so many changes that you know what? If I was to let myself, I'd be overwhelmed thinking about, man, I'm not qualified to do what I'm doing. And I just constantly could live under a state of failing, feeling like I'm a failure in God. How do I do these things? But I've learned 
that even when I'm messing up and I'm not the person that I'm supposed to be, that God looks at me in the spirit and he sees his workmanship. He sees me in Christ and I've learned how to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'm just telling you that this is one of the things that has kept me on the path. If I would have still been thinking that somehow or another I had to be worthy to deserve God's favor, man, I'd be running the other direction. I have failed so many times, but I've learned to be strong in the power of his mind. And I'm just telling you that this is one of the keys to being a success is you've got to quit looking at yourself in the mirror and think that this is how God sees you. God sees you in Christ, his workmanship. He's pleased with you. God thinks you're awesome. God loves you. There is no rejection in his heart for you. And some of you are thinking, you don't know what I've done. I'm telling you, you don't know what Jesus has done. You are a new person in Christ and you've got a spirit and that spirit is, it knows everything that Jesus knows. You have his power, his faith. You've got everything. Your spirit is perfect. When we die and go to heaven, your spirit is not going to be changed. It's not going to be increased. It's not going to be multiplied. The spirit that is on the inside of you right now is identical to Jesus. First John chapter four, verse 17. You are identical to Jesus in your spirit and you have the spirit on the inside of you right now that you're going to have throughout eternity. Your spirit is not going to be touched. It's not going to have to be dusted off, purified from some sin. It's perfect. It's got the same knowledge as Jesus, the same power, the same anointing, the same faith. You've got love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance in your spirit, Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23. You're already there. Your spirit's perfect. It's only our mind that we're renewing and we are getting our actions conformed to him. But God is a spirit and he's seeing you in the spirit. And even though you may be an absolute failure by your standards or by man's standards tonight, God sees you perfect. He sees you as clean and pure as Jesus is. And he loves you and he's pleased with you. And I know some of you are thinking, I can't think that. How, can, how do you do this? How do you think this way? It takes effort to quit seeing going by what you see and feel, but this is what the Bible calls faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. If you're feeling condemned, if you're feeling like there's no way I'm a failure, how could God, ever, how could I ever be a success? Maybe if I'd have started from the time I was a kid, maybe I could, but you don't understand I messed everything up. Then you aren't walking by faith. You aren't seeing yourself the way that God sees you. God sees you a new creature. God sees you perfect. You are as capable, not in yourself, but in Christ. You have the same spirit living on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You are capable of doing anything that Jesus can do because it's him living through you. If you would walk in who you are in Christ, you are capable of success that this world has never seen. I don't think there has ever been a person who is 100% pure dependent upon God. We're just in varying stages of missing it. Some people miss it more than others, but nobody's ever done it perfectly. 
If you were to live up to the potential that's on the inside of you, I guarantee you it would make the history books. Every one of you. If you've been born again, you are a brand new person. And if you are ever planning on being a success beyond just knowing God and loving Him, but then accomplishing His will and seeing it come to pass, you're going to have to learn who you are in Christ. You're going to have to learn how to live out of your spirit and quit basing God loving you and using you based on your actions. You know, lots of times if you talk about people being raised from the dead, I remember the first time we ever saw a person raised from the dead and I talked about it, people just came to me and who do you think you are? And they looked at me and God wouldn't use somebody like you to raise a person from the dead. They just thought that if you saw a person raised from the dead that you had to be holy or something. You had to float from place to place or be translated. <laughs> you certainly wouldn't ever have to go to the bathroom again. You'd just somehow or another go to a different level. And when they see me and they hear me talk and, and different things, they think, no way could God use you. That's because we think that God uses us because of our great holiness. And then you hear somebody who's got a miracle ministry, who they wind up committing adultery, they wind up stealing money, they're exposed for some failure. And immediately the critics come out and say, I told you that that wasn't God because they just take it for granted that God could not use a person that had some sin in their life. You'll hear people say, God won't use a dirty vessel. I want you to know God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to use. Your spirit is perfect, but your flesh is not perfect. And you are a dirty vessel compared to what God intends you to be. There's not a one of us that hits on all cylinders. God has never had anybody qualified working for him yet. And if you wait until you're perfect before you do something, that's the reason some of you aren't doing anything. Because you think somehow or another your flesh has got to be perfected. I had a good friend of mine ask me how to start a Bible college. And he sent us, I think it was either a four or five page questionnaire. And I let Gary fill most of it out. I didn't have time for it. But the last question was, Andrew, what would you do differently now? After, you know, nearly 20 years of Bible college, what would you do differently? And, you know, I sat down and prayed about that. And I could name you probably 30 or 40 things right off the top of my head that we've changed and we've done doing better and it's working better. And if I was to think about it, I bet you I could come up with 50 or 100 things that are so much better now. But instead of writing down all of these things, you know what I did? I just said, I told him, I said, Marshall, if you wait until you get it all worked out and you have it perfect before you start, you'll never start your Bible college. I said, just use as much wisdom as you got, pray and then start. And I guarantee you, you will make mistakes. There will be policies that are wrong, but just get started. And God doesn't demand that you be perfect, just that you be willing. And I said, he'll work with you and you'll learn and it'll get better. And man, as I was speaking to him, God was speaking to me because I'm always trying to do things better. And if you aren't careful, you'll get hard on yourself. Like, man, you should be smarter than this. You should know these things. But you know what? God knows it. God knew exactly who I was when he called me and he still called me. It says in 1 Peter chapter, 1 Timothy chapter one, God counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. God counted me faithful. I wasn't faithful. He counted me faithful. 
God believes in me. If God believes in me, if he believes in you, who are you to disbelieve what God believes? God's got a great plan for every one of you. And for you to sit there and look at your failures and think, oh, God could never use me, then you are making your sins and your failures bigger than the grace of God. And you need to humble yourself and you need to start seeing yourself in Christ and recognize that you're a brand new person and it doesn't matter what you've done, if you will just step back into Christ and learn who you are in Christ and begin to start recognizing your righteous position in Him, then you can accomplish things that are way, way, way beyond you. It'll not be you, but it'll be Christ living in you. And you can do that. You're going to have to learn to be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus instead of standing in your own self if you're ever going to be a success. Boy, that's imperative. You can't get around this. And again, some of you think, well, you know, I'm really gifted. I think just the encouragement you've given me, I'll go out of here and do better. You will blow it. And unless you understand this, you'll become under condemnation and then discouragement and things like that. You need to learn to be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus. You know, the scripture says, agree with your adversary quickly, while you're in the way. And I admit that Jesus was making a different application, but one of the ways that the Lord's applied this to me is I used to try and justify myself. And the devil would say, well, who are you? Why do you think that God would use you? And I'd start saying, hey, I've been studying the word more. I've lived holy. I've fasted. I've prayed. And I'd start trying to justify myself. And the moment you start trying to give your goodness as a basis of God using you, the devil's got you because you might be better than I am, but you have sinned and come short of the glory of God and you're still missing it. And as long as you are looking to yourself and if you have any confidence in the flesh, you are fair game for the devil. But the way I apply that scripture is when the devil comes at me and begins to condemn me and say, man, you aren't worthy. Why do you think God would use you? I, I quit arguing with him and I just say, you know what? You're right. I agree. I don't deserve it. Praise God for Jesus. I think I'll just pray in the name of Jesus. I think I'll trust Jesus to do it and I quit doing it. I don't pray for people in the name of Andrew Womack. I pray in the name of Jesus. I draw on his integrity, his power, his holiness. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you got to learn this lesson. If you're ever going to succeed, you've got to get to where you quit trying to justify yourself in an argument with the devil and just run up a white flag and say, I don't deserve a thing. I'll get it by faith in God's grace. And you start living that way, the devil can't corner you. He can't accuse the Lord, but he can accuse you. He's the accuser of the brethren and you're gonna have to start standing and being strong in what Jesus has done in your life. Amen? Awesome. Man, I believe this is encouraging you. Tomorrow, I'm going to start talking about vision and hope and how important that is in being a success. And so I've kind of been trying to counter all of the junk of the world, take away your self-righteousness, your trust in yourself. And uh, we've kind of knocked you down, but now we're going to start building you up. Amen. So we had to pull the rug out from under you and get you on the right rug, on the right foundation before, but we're gonna, I'm gonna try and encourage you and I know all the rest of the speakers will. So Father, we love you and we just thank you 
for these truths. Thank you, Father, for what you've done in our life. Thank you that you don't see us the way we've been seeing ourselves. Thank you that you are a spirit and that you see us in the spirit and that we are righteous and holy and pure. Thank you that we have all of these things. Thank you for who we are in Christ. And I pray that you help people to gain a new identity, to quit relating to you based on their own goodness and that they would start being confident in what Jesus has done, that they would believe that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. Father, I speak these words and I believe that the Holy Spirit is gonna take these words and make them come alive and set people free. Thank you, Jesus. You know, right now the Holy Spirit is making an application of what I was talking about tonight to your physical body, to finances, to healing, and things like that. There are some of you that are trying to deal with these things in yourself and trying to be good enough so that God will flow in your life. And tonight, if you will receive it, the Holy Spirit will help you to recognize it. You don't have to deserve healing. You don't have to deserve prosperity. You can receive it as a gift. You can just put your faith in the Lord. I believe that right now, the condemnation and the guilt, some of you know it's God's will to heal but you doubt that he'll do it for you because you know you failed. You've made promises to God that you've come short of and because of it, you won't release your faith and trust 100% in the healing power of God because you don't feel worthy. You aren't worthy in yourself, but you can receive it by putting faith in Jesus. You can stand in who you are in Christ and you can become worthy through the Spirit. God is speaking to people right now and I believe that your faith is changing from being in yourself to being in your Savior, who you are in Christ. And right now, if you will allow it, faith will work by that love. Your faith will rise. You can overcome these problems. You can overcome these things. Your unworthiness doesn't stop God. It stops you from believing, but it doesn't stop God from loving you. Your ungodliness will change your heart towards God, but it does not change God's heart towards you. If you'll receive this love right now and let God love you right in the midst of your failure, then man, your faith will explode. Faith works by love. You can reach out tonight and receive your healing, receive your deliverance, receive prosperity. You can get back into the ministry. God's speaking to me right now about people who have a call to the ministry. And you may have flirted with it. You may have been in full-time ministry, but for whatever reason, you aren't fulfilling it now and you just feel like I've blown it. The Bible says in Romans eleven twenty nine 29, that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. If you were ever called to the ministry, you're still called to the ministry and God is calling you back right now and telling you to, just because you failed, you aren't a failure. You can stand in this righteousness and some of you, your life is just like a, a fire or something came through. There's just ashes and destruction all around, but that's in the natural realm. In the spirit realm, you're untouched. You don't even have the smell of smoke on you. You can rise back up and you can get back into ministry. There's people in here right now that God's speaking to. I know that this is more than one person. You might have already been in ministry or maybe you never made it into ministry because you just didn't feel worthy. But there's people that have been called that you aren't living it. God's calling you to come back. He's telling you he hadn't changed his attitude. 
He created you for this before the foundation of the world and you aren't gonna be happy until you do what God called you to do. Amen. You know, I'm gonna ask you to be bold right now. And I'm, if that's you, if you know that you've been called to the ministry but you aren't fulfilling it for whatever reason, I'm gonna ask you to be bold enough right now to just stand where you are. And I'm, I'm gonna ask you to make a commitment and we're gonna change this. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.